What a joy it is for us to be able to gather this morning and to sing with God's saints. The fact that we have a sure and steady anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ. That no matter the storms that we face in this life, no matter how much the waves toss us to and fro, Christ is always there to keep us steady in our faith as we trust in Him. Well, as we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 1. We have been working through the book of 1 John together. And this morning, we find ourselves in the first chapter looking at two verses this morning. And somebody say to me the other day, they kind of chuckled to themselves because we looked at 1 John chapter 1 verse 4a. And then we moved on to 1 John chapter 1 verse 4b. But this morning we are going to cover quite a bit more ground as we're going to look at verse both verses 6 and 7 this morning. So I trust that you are turning there to follow along with me. And as you do, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to gather here this morning and to hear from your word, to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself speak to us this morning through the holy apostles and prophets, even as you ordained the means by which we would remain steadfast in the faith. And it is through your holy and inspired and inerrant and infallible word. What depths we have this morning. The truth of who God is and the world in which we live is opened before our eyes this morning in order that we might glimpse into the heart and minds of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. As we think about this passage in 1 John, as we think about the implications for our own lives, as we think about the work that the Spirit of Christ continues to do in our hearts and through us in order to continually purify us, continually cast our sins aside, in order that we might walk in a way that reflects the truth of who Christ is and what a great Savior He has been to us. And so, Father, this morning as we look at this passage, my prayer is that You would move the distractions from our minds and hearts and that You would give us an extra measure of attention as we pay heed to Your Word. We're so thankful for it and we pray this in Your name. Amen. Well, this morning, I wonder... If you can remember the first time you ever told a lie. Now, I'm not sure I can remember the first time I told a lie, but let me assure you, my childhood was full of telling falsehoods. But I'm sure I am no different from any of you. It seems like one of the first things we learn to do as human beings is lie. Even if it's just to stretch the truth a bit, our minds are given over to manufacturing and spreading falsehoods. I imagine this stems at least in part from the first sin that was ever recorded in the Bible. You may be familiar with it. Satan comes to Eve and injects within the narrative the first falsehood ever told. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Genesis chapter 3 verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. From the beginning, Satan's primary tactic is to assault the truthfulness of God Almighty. 
It's why the Apostle John says in his gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 44, that you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's no wonder that when we enter into this world, subject to the old nature and given to the ruler of this world, Ephesians 2, 1, and 3, that we ourselves are given over to falsities and deceits. Now this reality is important to the Apostle John here at the outset of his epistle. It serves as a major theme even in these first few verses. You see, one of John's primary fears was that his children, that is those whom would come to believe under his ministry, and even us this morning, would give in to the lies of the enemy and believe that which is false. This ought to be one of our greatest fears, beloved. That we also might believe that which is false. It's why the Lord has graciously and sovereignly preserved for us His holy word. And He has passed it down through generation to generation. You see, beloved, this morning and every morning, we do not have to believe in lies. Because the truth of reality and the ultimate one who created that reality is in our very hands and it has been given to us by God himself in order that we might walk in truth. In order that we might walk in the light of God's word. One of the most destructive lies that the devil has ever told and concerns both our Christian life as well as Christianity as a whole, we find this morning in our text in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5-7. through 7. I trust that you have God's Word open this morning before you. And would you read with me verses 5-7 through 7 this morning as we seek to understand this lie which was being promoted in the first century and is even prominent today in evangelicalism. Notice, notice it with me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Last time we were together in 1 John, we learned from verse 5 that God is light. And if you recall, there was a particular characteristic of light that John was interested in as it pertains to God's nature and to the message that he desires to deliver this morning. What we learned is that light exposes evil deeds because light shines in the darkness and therefore removes the environment in which evil deeds can thrive. The truth of who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ necessarily exposes falsehood because those who have been transformed by God's power on the inside inevitably produce fruits on the outside. If the life of Christ is in you, then that life will produce godly behavior. 
Remember, if we are made in the image of Christ and after His likeness in the new man, 2 Corinthians 5.17, then we have a new kind of life within us. Even that eternal life which the very Father and Son possess, and it is bubbling over in order to produce in us good, godly, and joyful obedience. You see, the clear manifestation of the work of God in the believer is a direct light that shines upon this falsehood that was being promoted in the first century. Now, what is at the heart of this falsehood, you might ask? Well, we see it clearly spelled out for us in verse 6. The lie that was being spread throughout the first century world and the lie that we are still prone to believe today is this. That we can have fellowship with God and still walk in darkness. It's a lie. It's not the truth of the gospel. As we saw last time we were together, it is absolutely impossible for there to be any darkness in God because God is absolute light. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we cannot participate in darkness and claim that we are in fellowship with God. Let us read verse 6 again so that we can hear it from the very lips of the Apostle John himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 says this, If we say, notice that he introduces a proposition here or a claim that is being tossed around in the first century church. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. The claim that John is referring referring to here is one that was prominent in the first century. It is the claim that we can have fellowship with God and still walk in darkness. Now what exactly does John mean by this statement, fellowship with God? In order for us to answer that question, we have to first know what John means by the word fellowship. It's a main theme that we see throughout these few verses, and so it's important that we know exactly what John means by this word fellowship. Now, we've looked at it in passing in, in weeks past, but I want to spend our time this morning seeking a clear definition of what John means by having fellowship with God. Let me give you the definition first, which you can also find on the insert in your bulletin. And then I will give you three reasons why this is what John means by this concept of fellowship. So here's the definition for you if you're following along and would like to fill in the blanks. Fellowship with God, in this text in particular, fellowship with God is active, ongoing participation in the work of Jesus on our behalf. Let me say it again for those who are writing it down. Fellowship with God is active, ongoing participation in the work of Jesus on our behalf. Or what John is going to call later within this book, abiding in Christ. Now, of course, there are several different ways that we actively participate in the work of Christ on our behalf. And we'll see these different ways as we progress throughout this epistle. But what John has in mind here in verse 6 is actively participating in the power of Christ's life and death and resurrection to continually overcome the darkness that still remains in our inner man. 
Now, let me give you three reasons why this is the case. And like any good preacher, they all start with the letter P. First reason. The parameters, the parameters of the word fellowship. The parameters of the word fellowship. Notice it with me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, every word that we use has certain ranges and limitations. That is to say that when we use a word, we expect that the person to whom we are speaking will understand what we are saying because the words we use have a defined boundary and definition. So, for example, if I said to you, did you see that man standing next to the drinking fountain? You would know that what I mean by that statement is something different than if I said, did you see that woman standing next to the drinking fountain? Man and woman have clearly defined parameters in which we understand their meanings. Which is why the picture in your mind was different for each statement. At least I trust that it was. Now, what if I said to you, did you see that man standing next to the fountain? Now that statement might produce a different picture in your mind. Why? Because unlike man and woman which have an unyielding definition, fountain can have a range of meanings. It could mean a machine that shoots out water in order for someone to drink it, or it could mean a large architectural feature that shoots out water in order for us to admire the word fountain has a range of meanings within certain boundaries. And that's what we find here in our passage. John uses this word fellowship, which has a certain range of meaning. So then, what does John here mean by this word fellowship? What he means is that to have fellowship with God is to share and participate in the life of God. To have fellowship with God is to share or participate in the life of God. The word that John uses here is the Greek word koinonia. Maybe you are familiar with it. We have seen it before in our studies. The Logos Bible software defines koinonia this way. It is the act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. The exegetical dictionary of the New Testament defines this word koinonia as commonality or participation. Now we see the sense of this word in several places throughout the New Testament. But there's one place where this word is used that I believe really gets to the heart of what John is communicating here by this word fellowship. And it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we will read down to verse 47. <clears throat> and as we read through this passage, I want you to notice how the author here defines fellowship for us. Notice that Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Same word that we find in 1 John chapter 1 verse 6. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And as they were selling, they sold their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that the text says that the early disciples devoted themselves to two things. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then the text goes on to describe what that fellowship consisted of. It was the breaking of bread and to prayer. That is to say that they shared meals together and they shared prayer together. Now the text goes on further to describe this fellowship in verse 44 by using a word that has the same root word as the root word fellowship in verse 42. Notice it in verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That word common there has the same root as the word fellowship. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Notice, again, he defines what he means by them having all things in common. Therefore, this fellowship, or this koinonia, was an intimate and personal sharing in one another's lives. It was constant. It was active. It was present. It was ongoing. They took part in what others offered and offered to others what they had. They shared in each other's resources and were generous to give to others what the Lord had blessed them with. This koinonia was a giving and a taking it was an active, ongoing practice of love and dependence upon the community of Christ. And beloved, that is what we see in our text in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. We have fellowship with God. John says, if we say we have fellowship, fellowship with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That is to say that if we say we are participating in the light and life of God, or depending upon the resources that He offers us in Christ, that is a giving over of our sin and a taking of the life that He has given to us through the Holy Spirit. If we say we have this kind of participation in God and yet walk in darkness, we are absolutely lying and not practicing the truth. You see, you can't have both. You can't be actively drawing on the life of Christ and still be performing the deeds of darkness. This is a categorical contradiction. But there's a second reason that I believe that this fellowship that John is talking about is an active and ongoing participation in the life of Christ. And it's because of the present, if you're following along in the bulletin in your insert, the second reason why this fellowship which John is talking about is active participation in the life of Christ is because the verbs are found in the present active. The present active nature of this fellowship. The present active nature nature of this fellowship. Let me try to translate verse 6 and 7 for you 
and draw out all of the active present verbs throughout these two verses. If you look in your bulletin, I've actually highlighted them for you. And so if you'd like to follow along, you can notice it better in your bulletin. This is what 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says. If we say we are having, present active verb, fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing, present active verb, the truth. But if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we are having fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son is cleansing, present active, us from all sin. You see, what John is describing here in this passage is an active participation in some kind of activity. Every single verb in verses 6 and 7, aside from the first, are found in the present tense, which means that John is describing some action in a process or state of being. He is not describing something that has taken place in the past. He is not describing something that will take place in the future, but something that is happening in the moment. If in any given moment, we claim we are actively participating in the life of Christ, but are actively engaged in deeds of darkness, then we are lying and not practicing the truth. For the life of Christ and the deeds of darkness are diametrically opposed. You cannot be participating in both at the same time. For as we learned, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You see, the life of Christ will absolutely manifest itself in the life of a believer, but it will not be in deeds of darkness. It will be in the fruit of the Spirit. Hear this, beloved. You cannot be actively angry at your children or your parents or your spouse or your co-workers and also be actively participating in the life of Christ. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We heard that this morning in James chapter 1, verse 20. Beloved, hear this. You cannot be actively engaged in sexual immorality, whether that be an appropriate relationship or pornography, and also be actively engaged in the life of Christ. For there is no deviant sexual desire within the heart of Christ, and therefore sexual immorality ought not even be named among God's saints. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. You cannot be actively engaged in gluttony or in addiction and also be actively participating in the life of Christ. For the Spirit of Christ is a spirit of self-control, Galatians 5.13, and a spirit of self-denial, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. You cannot be actively anxious and also participating in the Spirit of Christ for Jesus entrusted himself to the Father in all and every situation, even death on a cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 and 5, 6-7. To rely on and trust in the Spirit's power in your life is to produce the fruit of godliness, not of darkness. You see, Paul, the apostle, also is very clear that the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the Spirit are entirely opposed and therefore cannot coexist within the very same action. If you are demonstrating one, 
then you are not demonstrating the other. Notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Again, it's found on the insert in your bulletin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit. I think we could say here, participate in the life of Christ, or be in fellowship with God, or abide in Christ. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things or practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24. Hear this beloved, and believe it this morning. This is the gospel. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, to participate in the life of Christ is to participate in the fruit that Christ produces. How do we know what fellowship with God looks like? How do we know what walking in the Spirit looks like? How do we know what abiding in Christ looks like? Beloved, we walk in light of His revealed Word to us. And as we walk in the light of Christ, as we actively depend upon His Spirit within us, Our sinful actions are cast away. And the works of Christ are done in and through us. You see, this fellowship with God that John says here in 1 John 1, verse 6, this fellowship with God has a purifying effect. That is to say that it cleanses our life of evil deeds because the light shines through us to those around us. This is the third reason I believe this fellowship with God here is an active participation in the life of Christ. The first reason is the parameters of the word itself. The second reason is the present, active, ongoing nature of this fellowship in this passage. The third reason is the purifying effect of fellowship with God. The purifying effect of fellowship with God. Notice it with me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Notice that John contrasts at the beginning of verse 7 with the conjunction but. He contrasts verse 7 with verse 6. If verse 6 is a lie, then verse 7 is the truth. If verse 6 is a misunderstanding of what fellowship with God looks like, then verse 7 is a proper understanding of what fellowship with God looks like. If we walk 
That is, if we place ourselves in the perpetual presence of light, that is where God is present, then we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with His people, who have been brought out of darkness into Christ's light, Colossians 1.13, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If verse 6 is the wrong way to understand fellowship with God, then verse 7 is the right way to understand fellowship with God. To have fellowship with God in Christ is to walk in the light where God is present. And as we do, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now again, we have to stop here and seek to understand what, G- what John means at the end of verse 7 by the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin. It is, the, is it the same thing that John means in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When John talks about cleansing in verse 7, is it the same thing that he's talking about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2? I don't think so. Why? Again, what John has in mind here in verse 7 is an ongoing process. He says the blood of Jesus is cleansing us of all sin. Present active verb. This is not something that has happened, but something that continues to happen. Not only this, but the word that John uses here for cleanse is also the word for purify. It's actually the way that the NIV translate first John, translates 1 John, John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. John Stott said about this cleansing in verse 7, he says in his commentary, and again you can find the insert or the excerpt in the insert in your bulletin. He says the second result of walking in the light is that the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. The verb suggests that God does more than forgive. He erases the stain of sin. And the present tense shows that it is a continuous process. But what sin needs to be cleansed if we are walking in the light? Alfred, aware of this difficulty, insists that here and in verse 9, cleansing, hear this, indicates sanctification, that is the process of growing in Christ, distinct from justification. That is being declared righteous in Christ. This being so, the reference here must be, must be to cleansing not from deliberate sins, but either from ev- every sin, even those, commi- even those committed unconsciously, or, and this is the important part, as may suggest by the use of the singular sin from the defilement of the fallen nature. The cleansing and purifying that happens as we walk in the light is that the Lord continues to deal with the defilement of our old and fallen nature. You see, light not only has an exposing characteristic, it also has a purifying characteristic. Light not only exposes what, it's, what is wrong, it also imprints what is right. Light not only reveals the stain of sin, 
It also removes its vestiges from our actions. Let me see if I can illustrate this point for you this morning. I remember when we were new parents. Now much like many new parents, we thought for sure that we were going to use cloth diapers for our babies. Anybody with me? Anybody ever try that? You know, diapers are very expensive. And we were very poor at the time, so we thought one way that we can save money is by reusing cloth diapers. Well, that lasted for about two months. You see, the convenience of disposable diapers absolutely outweighed the cost of buying them. But that's not the point that I'm trying to make this morning. The point that I'm trying to make is that babies make an absolute mess of cloth diapers, especially when they are newborns. How many of us have ever changed a newborn's baby's diaper only to find that whatever is in there exited where it was supposed to be and ends up all the way up their back, not only destroying their diaper, but also destroying their clothes. You see, what we find is that a baby's soil absolutely stains their garments. And there is only so much that a washing machine can do to take out those stains. It doesn't matter how many times you wash it. It doesn't matter how much detergent you use. Some of those stains and those soiled diapers will remain what seems like to be forever. Sometimes those soils never come out. And so, in the process of using these soiled diapers, and in the process of trying to get the stains from that soil out, we were advised to do something with those diapers. We were told, if you want to get the stain out of those diapers, then you hang those diapers in the sun. Do you know why? Maybe you can figure out by now, the sunlight has a bleaching effect and can remove the stains that the washing machine left behind. Even so, beloved, the light of the Son of God has a purifying effect and can continually remove the stain of indwelling sin. You see, brothers and sisters, the light, that is the light of God, has a powerful cleansing and purifying property. And as we walk in the light, our remaining stains that are left by the sin nature that we once were but no longer are but still have are cleansed. Our evil deeds are continually exposed by the light of Christ. And the blood of Christ not only forgives them, but supplies the power to confess those sins and to overcome those sins. Even as the old hymn says, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be wider, yes, brighter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. 
Beloved, would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in his blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. Beloved, if we walk in the light of God's word, if we turn to Christ in his power to produce righteousness in us and through us, then our deeds will be pure even as he is pure. You see, that is the truth of Christianity. The good news of Christ is not only that He does away with the penalty of your sin, but that He continually and constantly deals with the power of your sin. As you turn to Him in repentance and faith and walk, in His glorious light. You see, the Spirit of Christ ought absolutely to have an effect on the way that we live our lives on this earth. Because the Spirit of Christ is redeeming us from the inside out, renewing our inner man, in order that our deeds might be transformed, and we might be agents of godliness and goodness. And how does this work? We walk in God's light. We abide in the power of Christ. We have fellowship with God and with His apostles through God's Word and with God's people. What we see in this epistle from the Apostle John is that he actually circles back to this theme of being purified and cleansed in our daily actions. Notice it with me in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared, that is the Lord Jesus Christ appeared, in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one lie to you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, beloved, what does it mean to have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ? It means to actively participate in the life of Christ. That life that has been implanted in our inner man through the Holy Spirit, and therefore to walk in the light of his word together with his people. You see, Beloved, each one of us still has sin 
remaining within us. Each one of us is still battling against the old man. Each one of us has a relationship to sin. And it's this relationship that we will look at next week, Lord willing. Let us pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your grace towards us. We're so thankful for the ongoing, present, active, purifying nature of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. Father, where would we be if it were not for the ongoing presence of God within us through the Holy Spirit? What would our lives look like if we did not have the Spirit of Christ living within us? How would we treat our sons and our daughters, our fathers and our mothers, our neighbors and our friends, if it were not for Christ powerfully compelling us towards joy-filled obedience in God? What a blessing it is for us to know that we have once been justified in Christ, but that Christ continues to minister to our inner man, that He continues to reveal within our own hearts the sin that still dwells there, in order that we might bring it into His light, confess it, give it to Him, and trust that the power of the Spirit can overcome that sin. Father, would each one of us this week, as we still feel that sin nature, may we give it over to Christ. May we understand who we are in Him and that the works of the devil have absolutely been defeated, not only in the cross, but also in the resurrection. Father, may we live that resurrected life throughout this week as we trust and continue to have fellowship with Christ. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name.